0: Well, I'm doing a sermon series, which we have a few more weeks of, called "The Summer of Story, um, I'm going to be talking about the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus has this conversation with. And throughout this series, I've been taking one story per week that you read throughout the week and preaching on it and expanding on it. This week, something interesting happens, which happens sometimes. As I was preparing for this and thinking about this story, I got into all kinds of stuff. And all kinds of ideas and all kinds of thoughts and really felt God was speaking to me through this story about several things that we as a church need to think about and that I really feel driven to speak. And so I'm varying the sermon series a little bit and instead of just sticking with one story per week, I want to take the next three weeks and really dive into this one Uh, because there is just so much good stuff in here. We're not even going to read the whole story today. Um, Because there's just a lot to talk about and a lot to think about. Uh, So, uh, we're in John chapter 4. If you want to turn there, um, we're going to be reading actually verses 1 through 26. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had had given to his son Joseph. Well, Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was the sixth hour. That's the middle of the day. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one that you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, He. Let's take a moment to think about Jesus sitting at this well. A well might have looked something like this. Um, This particular well that's in Samaria uh, actually still exists, but several churches have been built over top of it because it's considered a holy place. So we don't quite know what the original well looked like, but it would have been much more kind of like a hole in the ground or maybe some stones built up around it. Jesus is tired. This is pretty early in the Gospel of John. His ministry is just getting started Many of the Pharisees who have been pushing back against John the Baptist are now also starting to see that Jesus' ministry is taking off, maybe even more than his. So the resistance has begun. Jesus has been doing miracles. He has been teaching. And he's tired. He decides to get away from these Pharisees and go back up to where he's really from. But to do that, he's got to pass through Samaria. Samaria. Samaria is this area that was that was in the middle of Israel. And it was in the middle of Israel because when Israel got taken off to be exiled, we talked about that last week. That when you take over a nation, there's actually two ways that you can take care of these people. You can make sure their culture doesn't remain their culture and they're less likely to be to be an uprising. One is to move the people. It's to take the people from this area and spread them to all these different towns so that within a few generations they forget their heritage and just live like the town. The other way, and the way that we got the Samaritans, is to force people to intermarry with your people. And that way, you have people after a couple of generations that are no longer 100% whatever they are, in this case, Jewish. So these people, the Samaritans, are half-breeds. They're actually hated even more than the Gentiles. Even though they they keep the Jewish faith pretty close, you see this woman has a has an understanding of the Old Testament. She understands where the well is. She understands where her people are. She has a concern with worship. Oftentimes it's the people that are closest to us that we hate and we fight with the most. The people that are really far from us, well, we don't really care about them as much. And so the Jews did not get along with the Samaritans. And so most Jews, if they had to make a journey from one part of Israel to the other, would actually go all the way around the Samaritans. So they wouldn't have to talk to the people or be in that place. But Jesus seems to have no concern of that. And he goes marching straight through. He's tired. We get to see Jesus being fully human. Tired. He's worn out. He's thirsty. He sends his disciples on ahead to get supplies. And he waits there at Jacob's will. In fact, the text says... And the way, version I read says that he sat by the well, although the text could also be translated that he sat on the well. And he sits in the middle of the day. It's hot. In the Middle East, you wouldn't have left the bucket there. You had to get up early in the morning or late at night uh, because it was so hot. So to travel in the middle of the day would be really hot. You wouldn't go get your water then. And then because you had to carry the buckets with you and had to carry buckets of water back with you, typically you didn't have a bucket at the well. You would bring your own bucket and a rope would be there so you could lower your own bucket down. That way you're not wasting the energy of pouring out your bucket, the main bucket, into your other buckets. Um, Later, when we think of wells, we typically think of a bucket sort of hanging by a rope there, but that's not how it would have been. So Jesus is sitting there in the heat of the day, He's tired and he's thirsty. But he has no bucket. Either they're not traveling with a bucket or the disciples have the bucket so they can go carry supplies in it. And so Jesus is alone at the well until a woman comes along. A Samaritan woman comes walking up. She's a woman, which means Jesus is really not supposed to be talking to her. Women in this day were looked at as sort of second class citizens. They weren't allowed in the main area of the temple. There weren't really jobs for women. They weren't really taught the Torah. They had to, it was assumed that men should learn those things and that women should learn how to be at home. Um, she's a Samaritan woman alone at the well, which means she's especially to be disliked. Jesus. if if the Samaritan was near him, should have left the well. Jesus should have gone up and walked away stayed away from this woman. Not only is she a woman, but she's a Samaritan woman. Not only that, but she's there in the middle of the day. I I just said that you don't go to the well in the middle of the day because it's way too hot. So this woman coming up alone, you didn't even travel to the well alone normally. It was a communal thing because it might be dangerous to go to the well. So the women and children would kind of gather in the morning or in the evening to travel to the well as a group to get their water to come back. So there's a lot of warning signs here for Jesus. Why is this woman coming alone in the middle of the day, the heat of the day, by herself to this well? This is not just a woman who's a Samaritan woman. She's a woman who is outcast in her own culture. There's got to be some kind of reason why in the middle of the day, I don't think she just slept in. There's a reason why she's not going to the well with the other women. There's a reason why she's there by herself in the heat of the day, why she's risking the heat exhaustion, why she's, she's risking all of that energy to avoid being with all those other people. There's been a lot of speculation about what the deal is with this woman that comes to the well while Jesus is sitting there. Most of the time we interpret her to be a woman of a lot of sin. And I've heard this taught that way. I have even taught it this way. That, you know, what's happening is she's been an unfaithful wife. She's even portrayed as a harlot or as a prostitute in some portrayals that she's moved from husband to husband to husband and now the guy she's living with is no longer her husband. And, And maybe that's the case. Maybe that's why she's at the well. But if you portray the woman that way, then you tend to focus this whole discussion around her sin. And in fact, the text never talks about her sin. There's nothing in the text itself that would lead us to believe that portrayal of the woman is really accurate. In fact, There are a couple other ways to read this text that may also explain why this woman is doing what she's doing. For instance, had she lost five husbands? Had she, over the years, buried five husbands? Seems outrageous to us that five husbands would die, although I'm aware of women that have lost two or three husbands over the years. But remember that men were a lot older than women when they got married. And because women couldn't take care of themselves, uh, couldn't provide for themselves well, that she would have probably, if she if she she did lose a husband, she would be married off to one of his brothers or one of his cousins, which means he'd be, she'd be marrying in the same family. So if there was any kind of illness that was passed on genera- generationally, any kind of blood disorder, any kind of thing like that, that might be running through the family, that may just be a family that married beyond. People did die younger. People could get injuries and uh, not have the capability to take care of those things. So, so maybe she's lost those husbands. Isn't that a different portrayal of this woman? Imagine having to bury five husbands. I couldn't imagine losing one spouse. So maybe she's a broken woman. Maybe she's been divorced, but maybe it's not all because she was unfaithful. You know, in this culture, only men could, could file for divorce. And the really, the only ways they could do that is if the woman was unfaithful. Or there's a possibility that they could get a divorce if the woman couldn't have children. What if her whole life, she hadn't been able to conceive a child? Or she'd been able to conceive a child, but she'd had miscarriages. And so, man after man, gotten away from her. Maybe she's just into the wrong kind of guy. Maybe the last man doesn't want to marry her because he knows, first of all, maybe she can't have kids. But second of all, I mean, what if you met, guys, help me out here. What if you met a woman who had lost five husbands? In a superstitious culture, this woman's got to be unlucky, right? Or if you're not a superstitious culture, you're thinking potentially serial killer, right? Okay? The only common denominator in all these lost husbands is this wife. Maybe she's alone in the middle of the day because she's unlucky, because they think she's cursed, because there's rumors about maybe she poisoned her husband. Maybe this last husband is willing to take care of her, but I don't want to marry her. We don't know. We don't know, but I, but I think it's helpful to widen our view of this woman past just the sin. Because if you, if you just look at her as the sin, Jesus sitting here, this woman comes up, and if all this discussion is about sin, you tend to read the dialogue a certain way. When she starts asking about worship, I, I've read interpreters this week that said, well, she's trying to distract from the fact that she's living with a man that's not her husband. But what if instead of being a distracting question? What if it's actually a question that gets at the very heart of what's going on for this woman? So this woman, nameless, alone at the well in the middle of the day, comes. But she's not alone, is she? Jesus is there. She has some kind of faith, she has some kind of understanding of the Old Testament, She has some kind of searching that she's doing, but she's doing it on the outside of the community. And so let's look at these two people that happen to be alone at the well at the same time. First, Jesus is, is, is there, and he's a man, and so she's a little concerned. She asks him, You know, what are you, a Jew, talking to me, a Samaritan woman? The emphasis in the Greek is really on the gender. Not only is she surprised that Jesus would talk to a Samaritan woman, but she also seems a little bit suspicious of a man who would talk to her and be alone with her in the middle of the day. The question is almost, what are your intentions? Maybe again this points to the fact that she's had a rough past. Maybe that points to the fact that she may have been abused in the past. Jesus asks her for a drink, which is amazing. He's not supposed to talk to her. He's not supposed to be near her. And he is not supposed to share a vessel with her, to, to, to share a cup or to share a bucket. Totally, Jesus is totally breaking all kinds of norms. Should be in trouble for this. And then they get into this conversation about living water. The language for living water is really interesting. Uh, the, the word for living really sort of means not dead. Not dead. It could be interpreted not stagnant water. Okay, If you have water that just pools and sits there for a long time, that's bad water. Okay, That's water you're not supposed to drink. It'll make you sick. The water is considered dead because it's not moving, and it'll make you dead in certain circumstances, depending on what's happened to the water or what's in there. Living water is moving water. It's water that you can partake in and that you need to partake in for life. So Jesus says, I've got this living water. If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for it. And she thinks very literally, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to give me this water? And Jesus says, no, 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 no. This is eternal living water, water that you get, and you'll never need water again. And she says to him, in my words, yeah, give me some of that water. You mean I don't have to walk here anymore? I'm never going to be thirsty. I'll take that water. You You got that in your bag? I will take that. But of course, Jesus isn't talking about water, water. He's talking about something spiritual. He sits by that well, and Jesus knows that woman's coming. We know from the story, he knows everything about her. Because he knows that this woman needs something, that she's searching for something. That she's not satisfied. There's a great text in Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah is a prophet speaking out against Israel. And it says, Jeremiah 2, 12 and 13. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God calls himself in the Old Testament the fountain of living waters. They have forsaken me and hewed out cisterns for themselves. Broken cisterns that can hold no water. Israel is chastised in Jeremiah because instead of relying on God, who gives living water, they keep trying to dig their own cisterns. A cistern, a well went into the ground and found water. But a cistern was a system created to catch rainwater. And so the people of Israel are chastised because instead of relying on God for life, they are trying to dig their own wells, trying to make their own cisterns. Trying to find their own way to living waters. And isn't this exactly what this woman has done? Difficult life, probably because some really crappy things have happened to her, but also probably because she's made some pretty crappy decisions herself. Probably both are the case. And she's doing the best she can. She's tried to take care of herself. She's figured out her way to get water even if she's not welcome with the other women. She's found a guy who will live with her and take care of her even if she won't take him as her husband. She's doing the best she can. Trying to read, trying to study, trying to find out. But she's digging her own wells. Maybe that's why the worship question comes up for her. She finds Jesus who knows who she is shouldn't be talking to her, especially if he knows what she's done in her past, and she, he talks to her anyway. This is a prophet, and a prophet who knows what she's done and somehow accepts her anyway. There are in this encounter this combination of condemnation for who she was and at the same time acceptance for who she is. And when she hears about this prophet, she asks him about worship. Because there's this debate between the Jews and the Samaritans. The Jewish people, there's this Jacob's well where Jacob had worshipped, where Jacob had been sustained by God. That the Samaritans now worshipped on this well, but in the time of David, the center of worship had moved to Jerusalem. And so she's asking, what is the real way to worship God? What is the real way that I get right with God? She would want to know that, wouldn't she? This woman alone at the well, difficult past, bad decisions in her past. She wants to know, has God forsaken me? Has God cursed me? How do I get right with God? And so she asks Jesus, not as a distraction, not as a, oh, we're starting to talk about my sin. Let's talk about this worship question instead. No, she, she somehow knows that Jesus can answer some questions for her. And as a Samaritan woman, she doesn't get to talk to a lot of prophets. So finally she gets to ask, how do I get right with God? My people say here, your people say there, but I don't know. I can't go there if that's the right answer. And Jesus looks at her and knows that she's asking the right person. Because the getting right with question The great getting right with God question is no longer a where question. It's no longer a how question. Thanks to Jesus, it's now a who question. He is the answer. He is the living water. He is the hope and security that she has never been able to find in all these other husbands. He is the answer to the, the living waters that she just can't seem to find anywhere else. She's been doing the best she can. But none of those other things have been the answer. And so Jesus gives her the answer. He is the answer. She understands that somehow she's got to worship God, she's got to bring him to prominence in her life in the right way to make herself right with God. And Jesus just happens to be at the well at the right time to share with her this news. Can you identify with this woman? Many of us have been through difficult times in our past, some of which life has thrown at us, others of which have been our own foolish decisions. Don't we all wonder sometimes where God is? Has God forsaken us? How do we get right with this God? We're not at the center of our community. We find ourselves alone at the well that we have been digging. The well of our lives, trying to find hope, trying to find answers, trying to find a way through. And here comes Jesus into our lives. Suddenly we realize we're not alone after all. Jesus initiates a conversation with us and invites us to true worship, to give Jesus the prominence in our lives, both in spirit that means with our whole heart and soul. And also in truth, the ability to know God, to know God better and more accurately over time. Can you identify with this woman? Does God care? Can you identify with her struggles to find her own way through? This morning you may feel like you are alone at the well. But I want to tell you, you are not. Jesus is with you and Jesus is calling for you to get rid of your leaky cisterns that are never going to provide. Your jobs and your savings accounts and your possessions and your status in the community and all your little survival tactics that you get for getting through life without being too harmed. Jesus is saying, forget that stuff. I'm the hope. I'm the living waters that you need. Today, you don't have to be alone at your own well. You are invited to the living waters. It's my prayer that you would take Jesus on in that challenge. Give it to Him. Call on Him. If you need help, you need to talk, you need to pray, I'm here. We we have elders and deacons at this church. There are plenty of people around that would be willing to talk to you and pray with you. Don't dig your own well. Jesus comes to you today saying, I've got some living water that's going to quench your thirst so you're never going to be thirsty like that again. Take him up on it. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you thirsty because we've been trying to do so much on our own, broken by what we've gone through, hurt by what others have done, ashamed of what we have done. Trying to get by. Give us the waters of life. Teach us and show us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.